Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to the playoffs. TCU versus Michigan, Georgia versus Ohio State. Stetson Bennett goes for back-to-back national championships, and you can be ready for all the action with BetOnline Sportsbook. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus using the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is January 5th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. But we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. We are going to break down many of the magical, mystical performances in the NBA over the last few weeks. Uh, I guess we're going to be talking about 186 points worth of performances by three of the best players in the sport. NBA is awesome right now. I've been paid to watch more basketball this year because normally we have the joke that like basketball doesn't start until the week after the Super Bowl. This year, I've been getting paid to watch basketball, and so I've been watching more basketball, and holy shit, basketball is awesome this year. It's super entertaining. Even if the stakes aren't there, it's just super entertaining basketball. We're going to talk about two of those, well, three of those entertaining performances to talk about just how damn entertaining the entire NBA has been. We'll get to that coming up in a little bit. First off, let's talk NFL and the topic that before the DeMar Hamlin story put the NFL world on pause for approximately two days, which I find to be an incredibly powerful moment given, like we talked about on Wednesday, when Kobe Bryant died, and that was a story where the broader society came into the sports world and mourned along with the sports fan as something that touched a cultural boundary. Something similar happened with DeMar Hamlin. We're watching a player suffer cardiac arrest on the field in the middle of a highly televised Monday night game that over 10 million people were watching is something that put the world, uh, put the sports world on pause and the sports world being on pause and seeing people react to those moments have brought other people into the sports world from outside of sports and it put the sports world on pause for two days and when Kobe Bryant died a comparable event that put the sports world on pause the the world kind of paused for like about a week it felt like and so seeing the sports world pause for about two days uh, following DeMar Hamlin 
collapsing on the field is something that I thought was incredibly powerful. And if you listen to our last two podcasts, there will be opportunities to present change and uh, also to be empathetic and uh, listen to those two podcasts. I would recommend if you want all of our thoughts on DeMar Hamlin. I have nothing more to add to the DeMar Hamlin case. We've put a lot of uh, emotional energy into those two podcasts and putting together something that offers opportunities for change and also talks about the need for people going through traumatic situations to uh, have someone who is a support system who exhibits empathetic listening. So we talked about those and uh, those two podcasts have consumed the sports world for about two days. It put the sports world on pause. And so what brings it uh, what brings me to this point is uh, talking about the silly thing that I wanted to talk about on Tuesday and Wednesday, which is the winner-go-home playoff game that's going on this weekend between Detroit and Green Bay. Because if you want some storylines, we've got storylines for you coming out of that Detroit and Green Bay game. Because if you heard our NFL Monday podcast that came out on, uh, obviously, Monday the 2nd, um, we went through what I call get-up-out-the-paint week which was saying goodbye to eight NFL teams who we won't really have to care about the rest of the season. That was uh, ranging from Pittsburgh to Carolina, who we did eulogies for back in October, the Jets, the Saints, uh, the Raiders, the Miami Dolphins, who aren't technically out of the playoffs yet. And at the same time, it's going to be Skylar Thompson starting at quarterback, trying to beat the Jets. And even if they beat the Jets, the Patriots also have to lose for the Dolphins to get in the playoffs. So odds aren't looking great for Miami. Even if they make the playoffs, they'll be up out the paint real quick. So we got those teams up out the paint. And now we can focus on the teams that will still be around for at least another 10 days. Because either Detroit or Green Bay is going to be eliminated when they lose on Sunday. It's the primetime game. It's the last game of the week. I'm sure we'll do NFL Monday in the middle of that game. And someone's going to go home in that situation. And if Green Bay beats Detroit, they are in the playoff as the seven seed. Remember how I said they just had to send someone as the seven seed and they just have to send someone for the, the four seed in the NFC? I got to be honest, if Green Bay gets the seven seed, I think Green Bay could honestly beat one of these teams in the playoff. I mean, they just beat the shit out of Minnesota. And while Minnesota's probably going to be the three seed and they won't match up against Green Bay, like, you're telling me that Green Bay going up against Philadelphia doesn't have a chance to win that game? San Francisco should have an easy time beating Green Bay. I'm not going to say it's a guarantee. Green Bay is looking really, really good right now. And so before we get into the storyline, I do kind of just want to talk about the Packers. And I was hoping that our friend Gage Bridgeford would be available. He wasn't available this week to do a show. So um, we don't have him who, again, he covers the Green Bay Packers. Would have been awesome to have talked to him about everything that's going on there. Green Bay has been super freaking interesting the last four weeks. And the reason that they've been super freaking interesting the last four weeks is the reason that I said it was over Back when they lost, I believe, to Detroit and they fell to three and six the first time. The reason that I said it was over for Green Bay at that point was just the catastrophic number of injuries that they had experienced on their defense. And as we look up the last three weeks, yes, they've lost guys like Rashawn Gary 
And yes, they've lost, uh, obviously, on the offensive side, someone like David Bakhtiari, and they they got Preston Smith back from injury, which, you know, I didn't realize he was going to be someone coming back from injury to end the year. Devondre Campbell has gotten healthy and back in the lineup for them. Kenny Clark is playing again. You look up, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, hey, there's actually some guys here. And, you know, obviously, Jair Alexander's been playing for them. They've got Rasul Douglas as their number two corner, who they just picked up who got cut by the Arizona I still can't believe he just got cut by Arizona and turned into a pro bowler but you know the the Packers defense at least is stable and like against Minnesota they turned Kirk Cousins over three times pretty early in that game to give them a gigantic lead Amos had an interception Jonathan Ford had an interception Darnell Savage had an interception like Green Bay got him rat-a-tat-tat to beat Minnesota with those interceptions and they turned over the Miami Dolphins three times in the second half of that game that they played back the week before which I actually saw that whole game on Christmas because you know it was before we went and celebrated Christmas and so they turned over Tua three times in that game and despite the fact that they only gained 300 total yards of offense got outgained on offense by the Dolphins they've forced a bunch of turnovers and those bunches of turnovers have ended up working ever I mean it's been great for the Green Bay Packers they've had I'm thinking back now to the games they played before I mean I didn't watch the game against the Rams but in that game Baker Mayfield had one interception and uh, they ultimately had I believe a fumble in that game uh, no, the, the Packers lost a fumble in that game. So they ha- they forced one turnover against the terrible Rams. Going back to that Bears game, they forced, uh, well, they forced three turnovers against the Chicago Bears. So that's what, 10 turnovers during the four-game win streak that the Packers defense is get is providing and if we know anything about Aaron Rodgers he does not turn the ball over very much if you could if you can say one thing about Aaron Rodgers even at 39 years old he is one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL at not turning the ball over so Green Bay the last few weeks has totally turned around their their forecasts and by the way the Green Bay Packers are back in a place where they're going to make the playoffs with just a victory against the Detroit Lions. Again, more on that coming up in a second. But the thing that's been so interesting about that win streak is like, okay, so the defense has been kind of the the anchor of what Green Bay is putting together. Okay, they've got 10 turnovers in four games, which compare that to what Green Bay has done in the first 12 games of the season. They had... 14 total turnovers they have had 10 in the last four weeks so turning the ball over at a much higher rate has been pretty much explaining the difference between the Packers who started the season at four and eight and the Packers who now find themselves at eight and eight and by the way, should be better than 8-8 eight and eight because they blew a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter against the New York Giants in London, a team that I bet you if they played tomorrow, the Packers would be a three-point favorite on a neutral field against said New York Giants. So the Packers find themselves in a situation where they are in a win-and-in situation, and the defense has been the reason for why that's been the case. You look at Aaron Rodgers, who I mentioned a second ago, and in those four victories that the Packers have had, 
they have scored, and I'm just going to read them real quick off the bat, obviously not applying context, 28, 24, 26, and 41 points in those three games. Aaron Rodgers' best game is, understandably, the 41-point game. He only threw 24 passes, completed just 14 of them for a completion percentage of 62.5%, which is understandably not great and also only slightly below Aaron Rodgers' season average. But he still had a 95.7 passer rating because of those of those 24 passes, none of them ended in turnovers. He still completed over 11 yards of uh, over 11 yards of completion and threw that touchdown to Robert Tunyon. You go to the other four victories that the Packers have had against Chicago. Aaron Rodgers completed 58.1% of his passes, 120, 182 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, and an 85.7 passer rating. Go all the way through the four games, and Aaron Rodgers has a completion percentage averaging out at 64%, which by the way, his season average, 64.7%. He's completed four touchdowns and two interceptions. His season average, 25 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. So the two to one touchdown interception ratio matches the 2.3 to one interception to touchdown ratio for the entire season. He's performed slightly better in that respect. And his passer rating in those four games combined, coming out to an average of 87 on his passer rating, which the league average is somewhere between 91 and 92. Fun fact, 91.5 is exactly Aaron Rodgers' passer rating for the entire season, which means Aaron Rodgers is exactly a league average quarterback. And over the Packers' four-game winning streak, he has played like a league-average quarterback and has played almost equal to his statistics on the season. Again, completion percentage, 64%, exactly his season average. 2-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio, his season average, 2.3-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. And his passer rating in those four games equals 87. No game higher than 96. No game lower than 78. He has played as an average quarterback for these four games, and the Packers have won every single game. Why is that happening? As we articulated before, defense is generating turnovers for the Packers, and the Packers are actually pretty good at running the football. The Packers have an identity of running the football, which, you know, when you have Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and the rotating panel of receivers that they've had all season, but you have a Pro Bowl running back in Aaron Jones, and who I think is the best physical specimen in the NFL other than Derrick Henry in A.J. Dillon, they're really good at running the football, and running the football has been their way of keeping their defense off the field, which has allowed the defense to be, well, at least has correlated with defense being opportunistic in turnovers. I'm not going to say that it's a causation or a correlation situation. I'm saying that their turnovers have gone up, as they have started to run the ball more and their defense is playing on the field less. Now, that could also correlate to the fact that they played Tua and Kirk Cousins the last few weeks, whereas the weeks before they played Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Jared Goff. Jared Goff. But point being, 
they have improved statistically when it comes to their defense, and that is something. Uh, and they have improved their running game to have their offense simply run less plays, and the identity of the team is built on turning the ball over, which is why I suspect that when they play a team like Jalen Hurts' Philadelphia Eagles, they will probably get exposed, and if they play Kirk Cousins' Minnesota Vikings, they can probably win that game pretty easy if they got to be the seven seed. So, What's interesting about that for the Packers is they have completely turned around their season with defense and running the football, which is kind of cool. The Packers were a team that was the number one seed in the NFC each of the last two years. They went 25-8 and eight over those two seasons. Actually, they might have gone 26-7 and seven over those two seasons. They averaged 13 wins per season over the last two years. It wasn't like subtracting Devontae Adams was the thing that was going to make it all disappear Subtracting Devontae Adams was going to make them worse, but subtracting Devontae Adams combined with all the injuries that they've had and the bad start to the season that Aaron Rodgers had, which surprisingly wasn't actually as bad as people thought it was. I mean, he was still at the time putting up 12 touchdowns and four interceptions, but the Green Bay Packers are still a really, really talented team, even though they've lost a lot of that talent. Yeah, over the last three seasons, the Green Bay Packers have gone... 39 and 10. They won 13 games every year each of the last three seasons. Yes, they lost in the NFC Championship game twice and then lost to the 49ers last year, but like the last three years, the Green Bay Packers were like the most talented roster in the NFL. It's the reason why I said the best football move for Aaron Rodgers was to go back to Green Bay this offseason, and he ultimately did. They didn't bring back as much talent as I thought they would. And at the same time, I thought they would be good enough to be what Dallas is this year, going 11-6 and in the crappy NFC. I thought they would win that division because there were no other alternatives that had been provided. And at the end, Green Bay, Green Bay has turned a corner because their defense is, is being opportunistic and playing at a higher level than the start of the season. And their $50 million quarterback is playing league average. And because they have a strong enough running game, they're able to sustain enough offense to win these games against teams with a below 500 record and the Minnesota Vikings, who aren't that far removed from having a 500 record. So that's my thoughts with everything going on with Green Bay. What brings me back around to the Detroit game is this. Detroit needs a win plus a Seattle loss in order to make the playoffs. If Detroit just wins this game, they at the very least spoil Green Bay's season. And by the way, they will know going into the Sunday night game whether or not they are playing for their season, a win-or-go-home game for the last wildcard spot, or if they are playing for just the opportunity to spoil Green Bay's season. Seattle plays at uh, 4.25 East Coast time. Detroit and Green Bay play at 8.30 East Coast time. So they will know whether or not they still are in the playoffs or not going into that game. It would be way more cool if that were the case that they were playing for a playoff spot. I also recognize that the Rams are probably going to sit people against the Seahawks because what are the Rams playing for at this point? But the Rams also don't have a draft pick, so like who knows? What I will say about this game is there is no way in NFL history 
that the Detroit Lions are going to beat the Green Bay Packers in a winner-go-home playoff game. And I don't say this for anything to do with the merits of Green Bay with which I just listed or the fact that I said Detroit, uh, the fact that we eulogized the Detroit Lions back on Thanksgiving. None of that. Why I'm saying this is look at 60 godforsaken years of NFL history. Last year, and again, you can. there's a link in the description to this episode that says CKSAML Productions, and one of the things on there is oral histories of sports. We did an oral history about how shitty the Detroit Lions have been the last 60 years. The Green Bay Packers, while they should have more championships than just the two with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers being their quarterbacks for the last 25 years, in what universe... Do the Green Bay Packers lose a win-or-go-home game to the Detroit Lions? Like, we joke about, like, Aaron Rodgers being daddies of the Chicago Bears. It's not even a joke when we're talking about the Packers and the Lions. Like, the Packers and the Lions are, like, um, are basically like the local community college playing against the college football team in your town. Like, this is a rivalry that is one-sided except for the one time Detroit had Barry Sanders and beat Green Bay. 60 years of NFL history tells us that hell is going to freeze over before the Detroit Lions are going to beat the Green Bay Packers in a winner-go-home game to make the playoff. Maybe this is a break of a curse. Who knows? Personally, as a sports anarchist, I'm rooting for two options here. One, for Detroit to beat Green Bay, or two, for Green Bay to beat Detroit in a way that hurts so bad that it adds to the lore of Detroit's suffering. We know how much I love the little guys here. I want the little guys to have nice things. I want the teams who are terrible decade after decade, year after year, I want the little guys to punch up with their weight class. It's why I really, really like the Sacramento Kings, why I really, really like the San Diego Padres, why I loved it when the Minnesota Timberwolves threw jerseys and cried and did all that shit at the end of the play-in game last year. Loved all of that for those long-suffering fan bases. For Detroit, either you break the curse now or you need something to happen. Like, Don't let it be a boring loss. Don't let it be a, oh, we can't make fun of you for losing this. Let it be like Aaron Rodgers completing that Hail Mary on Thursday night in Detroit back in 2015. Let it be a moment like that if you're going to lose this football game. Or if you're going to lose this football game, let it be 41-3. to Let it be something that adds to the lore of your pain. Because you know what? It's much more fun to have it add to the... As someone who lives through the San Diego sports curse... As someone who lives through the curse and is a comic and enjoys the comedy and the dumbness of sports, all of this doesn't matter. You don't want to lose a game 31-24 to where Aaron Jones picks up a first down with 1.30 to go and the Packers are kneeling out the clock. You don't want to lose that way. If you're going to lose, lose in spectacular fashion. Lose by 38 points. Lose on a Hail Mary. Lose on something incredibly fucking stupid if you're going to lose this football game. Just please let it add to the lore because how often do we get any opportunity for Detroit 
the worst run franchise in North American professional sports over the last 60 years against Green Bay, their arch rivals who represent the only thing that is stable in the entire region of the Midwestern United States in football. Because think about the competition that you're talking about here. You're talking about Chicago, Minnesota, Cleveland, Cincinnati Bengals, Like, the only thing that is a beacon of stability in that entire region is the Packers. So, Detroit, if this is the day, if this is the day that you're going to get vengeance on the Packers, whether you make the playoffs or not, it'd be better if you made the playoffs. You might not get that opportunity, because I understand it's more likely that Seattle will beat the Rams, eliminating you from the playoffs, than it is otherwise. If you get the opportunity to even ruin Green Bay's season or make the playoffs yourself— win the game or lose in absolutely spectacular fashion because the storylines are all there we don't need to revisit the lore of Detroit and Green Bay in football that story's been written for 70 goddamn years in football going back to Vince Lombardi going back to the Detroit Lions being futile through the 70s and 80s the curse of Bobby Lane all that bullshit like we've we done written this story and forgotten about you Detroit at this point we're like man it's really kind of sad we've done all the lore about the curse we've done all the lore the storytelling at this point it's just kind of sad so if this is going to be your moment if this is going to be what all the pain and suffering of being a Detroit Lions fan which by the way should have quit that narcotic years ago. I'm a six-year recovering Charger fan. There is hope for you, Lions fans. You don't have to put yourself through this anymore. But if all the misery, all the losing, all the finding community and being a bunch of losers is going to lead to this one moment of euphoria, beating the Green Bay Packers in a win to go to the playoff game, if it's going to be about that one moment and you get to hold this one up on the Packers for the rest of time, Good luck to you. I hope you get your moment. In the meantime, if you don't want that moment, let it be something that adds to the misery and the pain. That's what I'm rooting for. Don't let it be boring. Let it be spectacular victory or spectacular loss because you have an opportunity to write another storyline into the pain and misery of the Detroit Lions or to write a surprisingly happy story to the pain and misery of the Detroit Lions. And as a, uh, as a San Diego sports fan with a deep, dark sports curse who lives in Sacramento and covers the Sacramento Kings, another deep, dark sports curse, let me tell you, buddy, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you. But if you don't win the game, I want it to be the most miserable and laughable way possible so that we can then write about the lore that will make it even more sweet when you do eventually get that one up on the Packers and break the Detroit sports curse. It's going to happen eventually, and hopefully uh, you guys will quit rooting for your team before you get to that point. But if you do keep rooting for your team until you get to that point, it'll be all the more sweeter and it will be all the more enjoyable to watch you losers break that curse. Are you tired or bored of your current NBA team? Have you recently lost a superstar and are now spending years stuck in a rebuild? Are you a Lakers fan who hopped on the bandwagon after the Russell Westbrook trade but are now tired of defending Anthony Davis on Twitter? If you or someone you know is experiencing perpetual mediocrity, then we have a new solution for you. Introducing the new Cleveland Cavaliers. We know it's now been four years since LeBron left, and the Cavaliers have had a really poor reputation. 
but with the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. And while currently sitting five games over 500, the Cleveland Cavaliers are a perfect option for any new and adopting bandwagoners. Yes, for 20 years the Cavaliers' strategy was to have the greatest players in the history of basketball be born in the general area of your city, but the Cleveland Cavaliers have pivoted in the last four years. We traded Kyrie Irving, who we got with the number one pick in the draft, and basically only got Colin Sexton in return. We then refused to sign Colin Sexton to his rookie extension, only for Sexton to then tear his meniscus in week one. The Cleveland Cavaliers signed Kevin Love to that four-year, $120 million extension, and we still have refused to trade Kevin Love because we are loyal. We know we've drafted in the top five six times in the last 10 seasons, but we've also had more success than 26 other NBA franchises in the last decade. When you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers, some of the perks involved are three fun young rookie stars, the possibility of acquiring Ben Simmons, and no expectations for the 2021-2022 season. That's right, you get all the fun of a team that's allowed to talk shit on Twitter and none of the expectations of actually winning a playoff series. Remember when we had John Beeline and he was basically Urban Meyer before Urban Meyer? Neither do we and we've moved on from this through a pandemic and multiple draft picks to create a new young core of Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, and Evan Mobley. For all of you who are big fans of NBA Twitter, we also have wonderful attractions such as Ricky Rubio, Chetty Osman, and the legend, Taco Fall. That's right, Taco Fall plays for the Cavaliers. Bet you didn't know that. Lakers fans, how excited were you when you guys got Russell Westbrook? Well, if you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers in seven months, you'll get that joy again when we inevitably trade Kevin Love and Colin Sexton to acquire Russell Westbrook in a move of pure desperation. But that's not all, folks. If you sign up in the next 48 hours, you will receive a new Cleveland Cavaliers swag bag, which includes a J.R. Smith tattoo t-shirt, LeBron James's old practice shorts from 2016's championship season, a copy of the Dan Gilbert letter that he sent out after LeBron James decided to join the Miami Heat, two complimentary tickets to a Detroit Pistons-Cleveland Cavaliers game worth $6, and Lowry Markkinen. So sign up today for the new and improved Cleveland Cavaliers. All signups for new Cleveland Cavaliers are binding through the 2022-2023 season. All signups must be confirmed before the inevitable New York Knicks play-in game in April. Side effects of new Cleveland Cavaliers include fever, chills, cold sweats, Ben Simmons trade rumors, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts or actions, diarrhea, constipation, a longing for LeBron James, and the inexplicable urge to acquire Harrison Barnes at the trade deadline. If you or someone you know experiences any of these symptoms, your doctor may prescribe Orlando Magic as an alternative for new Cleveland Cavaliers. All right, let's talk about the crazy two weeks that have gone on in the NBA. And as you just heard, the new Cleveland Cavaliers 
have a star player named Donovan Mitchell, and Donovan Mitchell, who was traded for Lowry Markkinen, who we mentioned in that new Cleveland Cavaliers skit that we did literally at this time last year. That was made in January of 2022. The new Cleveland Cavaliers have Donovan Mitchell, and Donovan Mitchell put up 71 points in a basketball game to beat the Chicago Bulls in overtime. And the way that you get to 71 points in a basketball game, historically speaking, is one of these reasons, which is Kobe Bryant having literally no help on the Los Angeles Lakers. Like Kobe Bryant put up 81 points in a game for a Lakers team that missed the playoffs. You have David Robinson going for 70 points because he wanted the scoring title over Shaquille O'Neal, and so they just kept feeding him the ball over and over so that he could get to 70 points. You have Wilt Chamberlain, which is, you know, kind of the cheat code of the sport, and you have Devin Booker putting up 71 points in a basketball game in which Phoenix lost by 10 points. And now you have Donovan Mitchell, 71 points in a game that went to overtime, and it took all of overtime to beat the Chicago Bulls. It's really hard to get 70 points in a basketball game. Some weird, extenuating circumstance has to happen, like you being on a terrible basketball team, or you trying to steal a scoring title, or you being Donovan Mitchell, who played 50 minutes in a game to get to 71 points. So... Usually there has to be some sort of extenuating circumstance that leads to a 71-point game. But Donovan Mitchell's 71-point game kind of underlines all the crazy statistics that have gone on in the NBA the last two weeks. And the one that I actually watched, because again, like I said, I've gotten paid to watch more basketball this year, even though my mind's in football mode, because I've been watching mostly football up to this point. I've been getting paid to watch basketball games this year. And so the one that I got to watch was Donovan uh was Luka Doncic going for 61 points, 20 rebounds and 10 assists. Sorry, 60 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. Almost got that right. 60 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. A statistic a stat line that by the way, no player has ever accomplished in the history of the NBA. No player has ever gotten 60 points, 20 rebounds and 10 assists in a single season. Donovan, uh, Luka Doncic did that in a single game. Even though no player has ever done it individually since like the Wilt Chamberlain era. So yeah, Luka Doncic had a ridiculous basketball game. And by the way, in player efficiency rating, which as I've talked about before, 18 of the last 21 NBA MVPs led the league in efficiency rating. It's the statistic that most correlates to what we call value or the eye test. Player efficiency rating has a new number one leader ahead of Nikola Jokic, which is Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is now the front runner for the MVP based on the actual statistical analysis we can do to quantify who the most valuable player in the sport is. Because, by the way, who are the players that you would have said the last five weeks are the leaders in the clubhouse for the MVP? Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant. Well, lo and behold, if you look at the player efficiency rating numbers in the sport, 
Number one, Luka Doncic. Number two, Nikola Jokic. Number three, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was putting up them ridiculous 40 points, uh, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, twenty uh, five blocks, five steals. That's something Anthony Davis did in a game earlier this year. It was pretty incredible to watch. 40 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, five blocks, five steals. Anthony Davis, three. Joel Embiid, four. Giannis, five. Kevin Durant, six. It's almost as if player efficiency rating is the statistic that best correlates to who is the most valuable in the sport. So those five players are the generational superstars of the NBA. Sorry, Anthony Davis, you were kind of in that group. You're a Hall of Famer, no question. You were there for a minute, and you were the best player on a team that won a championship in 2020. You're there, just not anymore. So those are your generational talents in the sport. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry pre-injury reflect the older generation, the guys who are now in their mid-30s, the guys who came to define the previous um, you know, 2014 to 2019 era of basketball. The previous five years before the most recent three to four years was about Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry. Then you have the current generation of guys, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and Anthony Davis, who are four of the top five players in the sport right now and consist of uh, in player efficiency rating. And apart from Anthony Davis, who's kind of in the in-between phase because of injuries, you would say that the three best players in the sport the last four years have been Giannis, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Jokic. The last three years, they finished top three in the MVP in some order. It was uh, Jokic, Embiid, Giannis. Then it was Jokic, Giannis, Embiid over the past two seasons. And this year, they'll all finish somewhere in the top five. So Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis are the best players in the sport. And then you have the baby generation of Luka Doncic, 23 years old, on his way to winning MVP, being number one in this statistic. But if you just go down a little bit further, you will find at number nine, Zion Williamson, and at number seven, Shai Gilgis-Alexander. And then you also have John Morant in that group as well. And Jason Tatum's the tweener between the two generations. Jason Tatum is 25 years old, entering his physical prime. Jason Tatum is not quite Luka Doncic, not quite Giannis Antetokounmpo, and also plays on one of the best teams in the sport. Jason Tatum's the tweener between the generations. And so it's been legitimately interesting to watch not just the five players who we're talking about, Doncic, Jokic, Embiid, Anadokounmpo, and Durant, put up these ridiculous stat lines over the past few weeks. Add in Donovan Mitchell and what he's doing in Cleveland. Add in Jason Tatum in Boston. Add in my man Demonis Sabonis up here in Sacramento who comes in 12th in the player efficiency rating metric, point to all of those guys and look at how they have been incredibly, incredibly valuable players this year. Like, just incredibly gifted players putting up these mind-numbing stat lines. Giannis Antetokounmpo, I was joking about this the other day, since Christmas... And we did that whole podcast talking about the Bucks and Celtics. And Giannis put up a good stat line on Christmas. They just lost by 20 points. Since Christmas, Giannis is putting up 47 fucking points per game. He's having his best scoring season ever. And the reason that's the case is because Chris Middleton isn't playing. So it's out of necessity that Giannis is putting up these ridiculous scoring numbers at this point. And Giannis 
is fourth in the MVP voting, despite the fact he's averaging 47 points a game over the past week and a half. Like Giannis has been incredible, incredible, and so has Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid has been, according to player efficiency rating, a better player than Giannis Antetokounmpo. And Nikola Jokic, up until like last week, I would have said he's the MVP all over again because of just how unique his skill set is and how much value he adds to a Nuggets team that I personally think is the best in the Western Conference. They've given just enough stability around a two-time, possibly soon-to-be three-time MVP. And what's crazy about all of that, Giannis putting up 55 points the other night for the Bucks, putting up 45, 20, and 10, and losing for the Milwaukee Bucks against the Bulls, a game that they were winning by six points and then ended up losing despite, again, 45, 20, and 10 from Giannis. And it took 55 and 14 rebounds for Giannis to win yesterday, which is technically two nights ago by the time you're listening to this. Like, what's crazy about Jokic being in his physical prime, Embiid being in his physical prime, Giannis having his highest output scoring season, averaging 47 points a game and being in his physical prime, Durant carrying Brooklyn the way that he has, and him being legitimately one of the five best players in the sport, coming off of an Achilles tear and being 33 years old and demanding a trade out of Brooklyn, and everyone writing the team off as dead, and him calling out players in a... (laughs) calling dudes out by names... Edmund Sumner and Yudi Watanabe and Joe Harris, like calling them out by name in that lineup. And since then, they've totally turned a corner. And I'm not going to talk about Brooklyn right now because of everything that's going on with that organization. But you've seen what Kevin Durant's done. He's one of the five best players in the sport. And despite all of that, Luka is 23 years old and at the top of all of these metrics. Player efficiency rating, his... Uh, Luka Doncic is number one in the sport. Luka Doncic is the most valuable player, leading the league in scoring. The Dallas Mavericks have not put a, a stable or uh, have not put a great roster around Luka. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because Luka Doncic is still carrying them against the bad teams of the sport. Because. They so those the seven game winning streak they've been on. It's been against Timberwolves, Timberwolves, Rockets, Lakers, Knicks, Rockets, Spurs, Rockets. So they've played three games against the Rockets. The one against the Knicks that was a magical come from behind win, one of the coolest performances I've seen. The Lakers, two, a game against the Spurs, a game against the Timber. Like all teams below five hundred and the Knicks have been who Dallas has been playing. And by the way, it took a literally once in a lifetime performance. For Luka to beat the New York Knicks. Literally in the last 20 years. A team has never been down 9 points in 33 seconds. And no player has ever put up 60-21-10. In these games. Like Luka is legitimately the most valuable player in the sport right now. And player efficiency rating backs that up. So I'm going to defend the fact that Luka. Is the most valuable player in the sport. For the time being. And also Dallas is like the 7th or 8th best team in the sport, which is kind of wild to think about as someone who's 23 years old and is putting up the ridiculous scoring outputs and ridiculous um, efficiency ratings that Luka Doncic is. Because if you go back to last season, only only Jokic 
had a higher efficiency rating than what Luka Doncic is putting out right now. You go back to the 2021 season, no player was putting up the the, the efficiency rating that Luka's putting up right now. When Giannis won the MVP in 2020 and led the league in efficiency rating, he was half a point at 31.94 behind Luka's 32.4. You could go back to the year before that, 2019, uh, Giannis's first MVP. Giannis was 30.9. He was a point and a half behind what Luka Doncic was putting up in terms of efficiency rating. Like, we're seeing only last year Jokic being quantifiably as good as what Luka Doncic has done this year. Only last year Jokic and this year Jokic are quantifiably as good as what Luka Doncic has done. And maybe that won't sustain. Maybe there will be an injury that derails his opportunities or whatever the case may be. At this moment, somehow Luka Doncic finds himself in the midst of all of these ridiculous 55-pointer. Clay putting up 54. Donovan Mitchell going for 71. De'Aaron Fox had 22 points in the fourth quarter yesterday. Like, Like, all of these ridiculous performances. You look up and Luka Doncic is still king of the mountain, which is kind of wild to think about given that he's 23 years old and that the Dallas Mavericks aren't actually that good of a team and he's still doing this against the awful teams of the sport. So Luka has been at the top of that list in terms of uh, the MVP and uh, everything that's happening with the best players in the sport all playing like ridiculous, putting up ridiculous numbers and uh, five different players putting up better efficiency rating numbers than Giannis during his 2019 MVP season, which is really wild to think about that five players are playing better basketball according to efficiency rating than Giannis's 2019 MVP season. Just the, the This year is so much fun in the NBA. It's going to be an amazing postseason. Just an absolutely fucking amazing postseason. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Make sure to leave a five-star review, a download, and support all of the wonderful work that we have in addition to our podcast. In the meantime, everybody, take it easy, and we will talk to you again tomorrow.